good morning and welcome back. It is part four of our community series. And uh, I know that some of you guys have actually seen that video before, but it just fits so perfectly into what we're going to be talking about today. I decided we would show it again anyway. So we are at community part four. So we have been doing this for four weeks now. And we started off with the very first week was why community is, is important. And we looked at some scriptures that talked to us about why we should be living in community and why we should be doing life together. Week two, we talked a little bit about what does it look like when we're in community. Last week, we talked about love. It was a week before Valentine's Day, and we talked a lot about why it's so important for us to love one another and to be in community with one another so that we would be attractive to those who may want to join our community. So today, I'm really excited about this lesson. I'm really excited for communion today because we're going to do something a little bit different today. But today, we're going to talk about how do we go out and make disciples. And that's what that video was all about. And that's why I love that video because it's talking about not just doing church in here, but how do we do church out there? And how do we bring people in and how do we introduce them to Jesus in a way that is powerful, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's realistic for us to do today? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's take a look at, maybe, the definition of a disciple. So if you look up the definition of a disciple, you'll see that it's one of the 12 personal followers of Christ one of the 70 followers sent forth by Christ in Luke, any other professed follower of Christ in his lifetime and follower of Christ, or a person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another. So we kind of fit into that last category, right? We're disciples of Christ because we are actively following Christ. We're actively trying to learn more about Christ. So that's where we come into play today. Discipleship is one of those hot words right now. You hear it a lot, especially around churches. Discipleship, discipleship. It's kind of the, the, the big trending word right now when it comes to exactly what we're going to be talking about. So today, we are going to look at some realistic ways that we can go out and make disciples. So, is this what it looks like to go out and make disciples? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's this, or maybe it's this guy. This guy takes it full circle. He's got the megaphone, the whole nine yards. So you guys have all probably encountered this at some point or another in your life. Um, we used to go to, when we lived in Phoenix, uh, we used to go to Arizona Diamondback baseball games, not because I'm a Diamondbacks fan, but because it was the local sports team in town. And there were always guys out on the corner with megaphones and signs, basically calling us all kinds of names, telling us that we're sinners, telling us that we need to repent. We even had a guy go as far as to tell us that if girls wear yoga pants, they're going to hell. Not sure where that came from, but apparently there's a scripture in the Bible that I haven't found yet that says if you wear stretchy pants, you can't go to heaven. Um, anyway, all joking aside, this, in my opinion, is not how we make disciples. Now, is there anything wrong with the message that they're trying to portray? Not necessarily, because they're trying to bring attention to Jesus. But it's all about the delivery. 
We talked a lot last week about it's not enough to know the scriptures. It's not enough to be able to preach a sermon. It's not enough to be able to teach, but we have to do it in love. Now, I'm not saying these guys aren't doing it in love because maybe there are some out there that are. I'm just saying from personal experience, the ones that I've encountered are not necessarily telling the story of Jesus through love. They're actually doing it through fear, through accusation, through pointing a finger. And that's not how we make disciples. That's not how Jesus made disciples. So that's what we're going to look at today. So Matthew 28, 19, it's all about relationships. And we all know this verse. We've all heard this verse a million times that we're to go out and make disciples and that we are to be baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's great. The question is, how do we do it? Because you hear this verse get quoted all the time, but where's the follow-up? What do we do from here? How do we actually go out and make disciples. And that's what we're going to look at today because last week we spent a lot of time talking about we need to show love to one another and we need to show love to people that we encounter. Well, now that we've shown love and now that we're a community that loves one another and is attractive to other people, we've got to know the next step. How do we go out and make that happen? Now, I know some of you are going, great, this is where he tells me I've got to go to my coworkers and knock on their cubicle wall and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Or I've got to go door to door and knock on doors and ask people if they've heard the good news of Jesus. Now, is there anything wrong with those two things? Of course not. But that's not necessarily the only way to go about making disciples. It can be done. I often tell a story of a girl that I used to work with when I worked at AAA in Costa Mesa. We worked in this big, the big high-rise office building, cubicle city, cubicles everywhere. And, and she used to come in in the morning and she was always mad about something. She was always grumbling about something. It was always something negative when she'd walk in the morning. And I would jokingly say to her, I'm like, Didi, her name was Didi, Didi, you need Jesus. And that's all I would say. And she would kind of walk off and have whatever. Every day she'd come in, she'd be grumbling about something. And I'd say, Didi, you know what the problem is? After this went on for a while, and I had a relationship with her where I felt like I could do this. This was not some stranger. I'd been working with her for quite some time. But finally, one morning, she comes in, and I go, Dee, you know what the problem is, right? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I need Jesus. Okay, I got it. Now, I did this in joking because I knew the relationship I had with her. But let me just bring this story full circle. She came back to me sometime later when I was no longer sitting right next to her, so I didn't have to hear her do this every single morning when she came in. She actually came back to me one, one day about six months later, and she goes, guess what I did on Sunday? Like, I don't know. What did you do on Sunday? She says, I went to church, and it changed my life. And I said, well, that's fantastic. That, that's, that's exactly the whole point. And she says, I never would have done that if you hadn't planted that seed day after day after day after day. So I'm not saying you can't go to work and, and introduce people to Jesus, but what I'm saying is maybe there's a better way and I'm not recommending you do it the way that I did it. Again, that was an isolated incident, somebody that I knew and I had a relationship with that I could have that give and take with without kind of turning her away from Jesus, which of course is the plan. So here's the question. Why do we make disciples? Well, we know we have the command to go out and make disciples, but, but, but why? Why did Jesus give us this command and said, go and make disciples? If we turn over to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, it's on the screen, or if you want to open your Bible or turn to the Bible app, 
I want, to share, I want to share with you what it says. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love this passage. How can they believe in Jesus if they've never been introduced to Jesus? Right? Because I would love to say that everybody in Mission Viejo at some point or another is going to walk through these doors. But let's just be real. Is that going to happen? Probably not. So we have to take Jesus to them. Because they can't believe in him if they've never been introduced to him, if they don't know anything about him. So that's what we're talking about today, is how do we do that? How do we get people to Jesus and Jesus to people? I love this picture. I love this picture. It says, love God, love people. Because if we truly love God, then we love people. And it's not just people that look like us, and it's not just people that think like us, and it's not just people that talk like us. If we truly love God and understand how God loves us, then we love everybody. Now, I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everybody on the planet, but we should show that same love that God has for us to everyone that we encounter. And if we truly love them, shouldn't we want to share Jesus with them? Because that's the whole plan, right? That's what we're here for, is to help share the good news. If we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this isn't, the great, this isn't the Great Commission, but it's a similar verse. It says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So here's that first step of the discipling process, is we have to be followers as well, right? We have to be actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, in prayer, in scripture, in reading, in communion, and in all of the other ways that we already know, and that's a whole other sermon, but we have to be following him ourselves before we can hope to go out and lead other people to him. So that first step is we ourselves have to be followers. And then he tells us, hey, if you're going to follow me, I will send you out to make fishers of men. Now, I love to fish. I do. People that know me know this. When I go home to Illinois, you will always find me at the pond behind my parents' house, and I'm fishing from sunup to sundown, or at least as much as I can get away with. And guess what? What happens when you go fishing? Do you catch them all? Nope. You don't catch them all. Right? And I love that Jesus uses the analogy of fishermen to people to go out and make disciples, because you're not going to make disciples of everyone, Right? But if you don't put your line in the water, if you don't put your net in the water, can you catch any fish? So if we're not actively trying to make disciples, they're not just going to come knocking on our door. You're not going to be sitting at home today and somebody's going to knock on your door and say, um, Mark, could you tell me about Jesus? It doesn't happen that way, right? You might have somebody else knock on your door and want to tell you about something else, but they're not going to knock on your door and say, hey, I need you to lead me to Jesus. Because unfortunately, it just, that's just not the way it works. We have to be fishermen. We have to be out looking for them. We have to be casting that wide net. 
Because the wider the net that you cast, the more fish you're going to catch. So that's what I love about this analogy of the fishermen. So let's jump ahead to Mark chapter 3, verse 4. So again, turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 4, and he's talking about the 12. He says, I appointed 12 that they might be with me and that he might send them out to preach. So this, this last three weeks, we've been talking about community. And we've been talking about how important it is for us as a church to come together and truly be together in community. You don't have to look any further than Christ and the apostles to see that that's how they did life. They did life together. Did Jesus need the apostles? Not necessarily, right? Jesus could have done what he needed to do, and he could have accomplished what he could have accomplished on his own, but he didn't. He did it in community with the apostles, and he loved them, and he spent time with them, and they spent about three years traveling around together, and they got to experience firsthand the miracles of Jesus. But he spent three years working with the apostles. He shared meals with them. He traveled with them. If you ever really want to get to know somebody, travel with them. You'll get to know them pretty quick. Delayed flights, long road trips, you'll get to know them, just travel with them. But Jesus spent every day, day and night, with his apostles. Because what was he doing? He was making disciples so that he could send those disciples out to make more disciples. But how did he do it? He did it through relationships. And that's how we make disciples. We make disciples through relationships. Standing on the street corner with a sign and a megaphone is probably not going to attract the people that you want to attract. But what about if you actually take an interest in that person? And what about if you actually spend time with that person? And what about if you actually do life with that person just like Jesus did with the apostles? Think about the impact that you could make. The key to effective discipleship is to be with people that you love or you're actively loving and leading while you have on your heart what is on the heart of God. I love that. The key to effective discipleship is to be with people that you love. So what does that mean? That means if we're going to make disciples, we need to go out and find people that we can love on, right? And I'm not talking about a dating relationship. I'm not even talking about a family relationship. But I'm talking about find people that you love, that you can do life with, that you can lead to Jesus. Because you know what? I can stand up here all day long and tell you how to treat your kids and how to treat your spouse and how to be a good Christian, or I can walk out that door and I can show you how to do it. Now, which do you think is going to be more effective? you got to show people. Don't tell your friends how they should treat your wives. Invite them to your home and let them see how you treat your wife. Don't sit here and tell people how they should parent your kid, their kids in a godly manner. Bring them to your house and let them see you parenting your kids in a godly manner. Don't tell people it's super important for you to be, have a good prayer life with, with Jesus. Show them how to have a prayer life with Jesus. See, that's how we make disciples. We make disciples when we show Jesus to other people. When we spend time 
with people. When we take the time to invest in someone to say, I love you enough that I'm going to take this time to show you Jesus. And let them see that in our everyday walk of life. That's how you make disciples. I know we have some small groups in this, in this church. And, and I know we have plans to have even more. And I can't wait until that happens. But that's what it's all about. It's about doing life together. Not just with your brothers and sisters here in this church, but with your friends outside of church. Let them see what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them about the amazing things that Jesus has done for you. And that's how you make disciples. Because you should be so excited about this gift that you have in Jesus and this promise that you have of eternal life that you can't wait to share it with everybody who will listen. But do we do that? Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. So how do, how do we go about this, right? We have to start slowly. If we look over at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and 8, it says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurses her nurses her own children. It says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. So much good stuff in this verse, right? As children. So what do we do? We start off slowly. Right? When you're trying to introduce someone to Jesus, you don't start quoting an entire book of the Bible to them right? That's not how you make disciples. You start off slowly and you tell them about Jesus. And you tell them that I have this amazing Lord and Savior who was willing to die for me. And guess what? He was willing to die for you too. You speak powerful truths into their lives and you start off slowly just like the apostles did. And I love that it says that we were pleased to share with you how often do we get excited about telling somebody about the gospel or telling somebody about Jesus? What happens when you get a new phone? You tell everybody. Check it out. I got the, the iPhone 11. It's got this, this, and this. It's so cool. I even see on social media where people will take another phone and take a picture of their new phone to post their new phone on social media. Right? That's a lot of effort to tell everybody about your new phone. Or what happens when you get a new car? Hey, check out my new car. Hey, you got to see this. Ray, come on, come to the parking lot. I got to show you my new car. We get so excited when we have something that we think is of value. We get so excited to share that with other people. Hey, come see this. Come see my new phone. Come see my new house. Come see my new car. And there's nothing wrong with that. But do we get just as excited to share Jesus with other people? Because that gift that we have in Jesus is way more valuable than any car or any house or anything else that we will ever possess on this earth. So we should be just as excited to go out and tell everybody that we encounter about Jesus. Just like if we got a new phone or a new car or whatever the case may be. So... 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what is this all about? This is all about multiplication. Right? Where are my accountants at? What's the most powerful force in the universe? Compound interest. Right? 
Compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe, right? Because it just, it just multiplies and it multiplies and it multiplies and it multiplies and it multiplies. When you don't pay your credit card bill, right? You pay that minimum balance, what happens? <laughs> your bill just gets higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, right? Because that's the power of multiplication. So what happens when we make disciples? You make a disciple and hopefully you light that fire in them that they want to go and make another disciple and then that person tells two people and then that person tells two people and then that person tells two people. And that's how we advance the kingdom. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He started with 12 and what did those 12 do? They went out and made 12 more and 12 more and 12 more and 2,000 more and 4,000 more and 5,000 more. And thank God they did because we're here today and we know the gospel because it started with 12 and it multiplied and it multiplied and it multiplied and it multiplied. But guys, we have to be the ones to do it. We have to be the ones that are willing to say, I love Jesus so much that I cannot wait to share it with everybody I talk to. And just like we talked about with fishermen, right? Everybody's not going to get it. Everybody's not going to care. But that's not our job, right? God and the Holy Spirit will decide who is going to convert to Jesus. But we have to be the ones to take it to them and let him sort them out later, right? You're not going to convert everybody you talk to. I wish it were that easy. But how amazing would it be one day, I want you to picture this, one day at the end of our lives, okay, you fought the good faith, you fought the good fight, you, you finished the race, you go to heaven. You get to heaven, the gates swing open and you walk in and somebody walks up to you and says, Ken, I'm here because of you, because I would have never known Jesus without you. Does that not just give you chills just to think about it? If you just could lead one person to Jesus, what an amazing change you have made in that person's life? One person. What if it were 10 people? What if it were 20 people? What if it were 50 people? How much greater would your excitement be to have just one or two or 10 people say, I know Jesus in my heart now because you helped me get there. Now, let's not get it twisted, right? The Holy Spirit does all the work. God does all the work. We're just the messenger. But what an important message it is that we are sharing with others of how to know Jesus better. I want to share something with you because I think this is absolutely perfect for what we've been talking about. And it's kind of wordy, so I'll read it for you. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than an ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. Example is always clear. It says, and the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creed. For to see a good put in action is what everybody needs. It says, I can soon learn how to do it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hand in action, but your tongue too fast may run. It says, and the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, 
but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. And that's from a gentleman by the name of Edward Guest. Guys, at the end of the day, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. That's the bottom line. Some people may never pick up a Bible. And some people may never hear of Jesus. But just like this, this poem tells you, actions speak louder than words. So we have an opportunity to make disciples through our actions, through our love, and through our relationships. And that's why this is the fourth part of our series on community. Because this is what it's all about. This is what we've been building up to for three weeks, is to get out there and to love people and to make disciples by sharing life together. Share life together. Show them Jesus. Show them that you love them in the way that God loves us. Share that exciting news about heaven and about Jesus and all of the amazing things that he can do for you. So that wraps up our community series. Now, as you guys have already noticed and as Brandon kind of hinted at a little bit earlier, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we get ready to go into our time of communion. And communion literally means coming together. And community also means coming together. So this ties in perfectly to what we've been doing for the last four weeks. So in just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a family, but we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. On the night that that Christ was betrayed, the apostles came together and they surrounded the table with Jesus and they took communion because Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. He wanted to share a meal with the apostles because again, there's something powerful about surrounding a table with the people that you love and with your family and partaking of a meal. Now, we don't partake of a meal, per se, as part of our communion. It's more of a time of remembrance. And we use emblems that represented the items that they had in a meal. But what we're going to do this morning is we are going to actually come together. And we're, there's eight tables. And we're going to surround these tables with our family and our loved ones. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, just as the apostles did on the night of Christ's betrayal. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to choose one of the tables and, and surround these tables with your church family and with, with the people that you love. And I just want you to view this just like the apostles did, of us coming together in love and sharing something together in community. So if you would... Go ahead and stand up if you're able. If not, we will provide communion to you in your seat. But if you're able, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and select a table and just surround that table with your loved ones. And in just a moment, we will pray. Just go ahead and pick a table. And you don't have to necessarily be right up to the table, but just surround that table. All right, let's go to the Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have assembled together 
as a church and as a family with the people that we know and love. Heavenly Father, as we think back to that night of Jesus' betrayal and that overwhelming feeling that he was willing to go to the cross for me and for everyone in this room. As we get ready to partake of this, we ask that our minds would just dwell on that amazing sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread and this this bread that to the Christian so fittingly represents Christ's broken body on that cruel cross. We ask that you would bless this bread. We ask that you would bless this family that partakes of it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer for the fruit of the vine? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fruit of the vine, which to the Christian represents the shed blood that was shed on our behalf to cleanse our sins. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fruit of the vine. We ask that you would bless it. We ask that you would bless those that partake of it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so deeply and dearly for that sacrifice that you made, not because we were deserving of it, but because you were willing to do so out of your great love for us. Let us never forget that. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had this morning to come together as a family and just to truly be in community one with another. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go our separate ways, we pray that you will give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to go out and truly be fishers of men. Teach us, Heavenly Father, to go out there and make disciples for you and for your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that sacrifice that you made for us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.